Hey there, it's JVL. On The Secret Show with Sarah Longwell today, we talked about the Republican speakership fight, the war in Israel, Donald Trump's newfound admiration for Hezbollah, and a little bit of Taylor Swift, too. Here's the show. Last night, Steve Scalise, after failing on his vote to get to 217, is that the number he needs? Yeah. Uh, Announced he was withdrawing his candidacy from the speakership, which leaves just Jim Jordan, and he'll try to get a vote to 217 today, I guess. Uh, I don't know. I because there's some hard nose. Like I like part of uh, you know what keeps coming out is uh, people saying like I'm an absolute never. I'm a never Jordan. There's never yeah. Jordans out there in the conference, and you can only have five of those. Yeah. So uh, that's that is up in the air. Maybe Jordan will try a vote. Maybe he'll fail. Maybe he'll succeed. Uh, if Jordan can't do it, then we start getting into weirdo fantasy scenario world where I could see call for Donald Trump as the consensus candidate. I don't think Trump would do it, but I could see there being like we could spend the weekend with everybody saying, maybe Trump will do it. Maybe Trump will do it. And he'll truth out something like, a lot of people are asking me. It's interesting. <laughs> uh, maybe. I thought you were going to say weirdo scenarios because I'm I'm getting, I can feel my West Wing fantasy politics oh, yeah. bones start to tingle over like Don Bacon saying, this is, this is ridiculous. And at some point, we're going to have to start talking to Democrats. Uh, we're going to have to see what we can do. And Hakeem Jeffries is out there saying, we're ready to work with some of you. You only need five. I have trouble believing that. I know. Usually we're on opposite sides of this. I just, I would like to manifest this Mm -hmm. uh, because this would be, best case scenario is some kind of a power sharing agreement uh, in which, or, okay, so either Hakeem Jeffries, but also make Don Bacon speaker. With the help of Democrats and have have an agreement that uh, I don't know I don't know I don't know what kind of procedural things these guys work out between themselves, uh, but you get like a normie that you can work with for things like like what if they what if they here just dream with me for a second okay you get someone like Don Bacon Fitzpatrick you know get one of your normal guys and the agreement the Dems have with them is you keep the government open you fund Ukraine we'll fund Israel. Like they make, they come up with a series of things they'll do together. And then, and in exchange, they cancel their impeachment inquiry on Joe Biden uh, and like a few other things. Like that's, why is that impossible? I mean, I know why it's impossible. I know, I know why it's, I know why it's deeply (laughs) unlikely. Any signing onto that is signing their political death warrant. And if these guys are all Yeah, but there's a bunch of them that are in Biden districts. You, they would be better off. Of course they'll be primaried. Better off taking their chances uh, in a Biden district with Trump at the top of the ticket, which may not go well for them anyway, or may go well for them, than to make it so that they cannot win a primary. So here's here's the one reason that I'm I'm slightly open to the, my my fantasy politics scenarios. Like the the case that you just made, which I think is exactly right, is one in which they are determined at all costs to keep their seats. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right, which is fine. That's a fine thing to assume. But what if watching what's happening right now, some of these guys are like, actually, I don't I don't need to do this. Like we've seen a lot of this over the last 
seven years of people mm-hmm. deciding mm, this is actually more dysfunctional than like more dysfunction than I need in my life. Uh, you don't think anybody, you don't think five people could be convinced to take a big swing and go out in a blaze of glory. I don't think they would go out in a blaze of glory that way. I, I, I just, I don't know. I mean, if, if they haven't gone out before now, why now? Why is this the thing that, that gets them? Uh, I think I think these guys are all really pissed off at each other. Maybe. I mean, spite makes people do wonderful things. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, if, look, if we're going to be in fantasy world, like, why not just switch parties? Right? I mean, that's the the obvious thing. If you're in a Biden swing district yeah. and you really want to keep your seat, why isn't announcing that you're a Democrat as safe a play as either of the other two. Well, options. so this is, and this is, so, okay, so I'm, this is exactly right. So you take, you five, five people go to the Democrats and say, I'm going to run as an independent next time. And you're going to get, make sure no Democrat primaries me. Like that there's no Democrat in the race. Like why? Why not? And we'll caucus with you. Yeah. No, that, that, so that is a thing that would make sense to me. But there have been no party switchers in the Trump era. It has Jeff Flake. God love Jeff Flake. Jeff Flake didn't switch parties. Oh, right? I know. So I guess, like, and I why, guess the I'm sorry, why is it going to happen now? So, so here's my only the only again the reason is because right now feels that the stakes feel higher, right? We've got and and the, so the stakes feel higher because of Israel and because of Ukraine, but especially because of the the urgency, the immediacy of Israel right now, right? So there's a sense from anybody who has like just a governing bone in their body. They've got to be sitting there right now being like, this is not how we can operate. This is pathetic. I hate us. Right? So I just, I could see a normal human. I know how abnormal these guys are and they don't react the way we'd like them to. But the idea that there's not a handful that can't go, this is this is insane. I, I won't play this game anymore. I'm not going to be part of a party that's going to be held hostage by Matt Gates uh, and where Nancy Mace is walking around with an A on her teeth. Like, this is the most uns- – and then the white supremacist flirtations of Paul Ghost. I like – Nancy not- Mace for speaker? No, Nancy, not Nancy Mace for speaker. You guys can't see JVL's eyebrows right now, but My JVL has a – what you're talking about. Oh, there is no video I, version of you, this. There is true. no video version of this podcast, I'm going to tell – secret podcast listeners get to know some secrets, which is that JVL likes Nancy Mace. He thinks she's pretty. No comment. <laughs> uh, I think I, I think she's nuts. Like a young Elizabeth Warren. Like <laughs> a young Elizabeth Warren. Oh, Elizabeth Warren. Love young Elizabeth Warren. Hottie. Super yeah. smoke show. Well, I'm not going to hide from that. I like Elizabeth Warren at this age. I will, I will objectify <laughs> young Elizabeth Warren, and I am sorry. Uh, okay. Um, <clears throat> so you don't think Jordan gets there. I think Jordan has a chance. Oh, I, I, so I uh, I actually, I'm not sure how the next level, I should have gone and listened. I never listened to our own podcasts, but we ha- when we had this debate on the next level, uh, I think there was, you. I, I continue to think that there is a bigger chunk of, and normies isn't the right word, but, you know, there is a very, there is a small, a minority governing wing of, there are like, actually- there are governing people. I'm not sure there's a governing wing, but like there's a I was arguing that there that I wasn't sure Jim Jordan 
would steamroll. And you guys seem to think Jim Jordan kind of could have a lock on the conference. And I would say, but even I was surprised that Scalise came out ahead uh, in the head-to-head vote. And then he dropped out because he knows he can't get there, which is real weird. Is it because he couldn't go through, he couldn't face all the rounds of voting? Because, like, why would Jim Jordan be the next most plausible thing when he got fewer votes against Scalise? So a couple reasons. The reason Kevin McCarthy could do his 13 or 17 rounds of voting was because there was no other option. Right. There was nobody else who had said, I would like to be speaker. Scalise couldn't do a second round of voting because there was another guy right behind him by just like, you know, what, 10 votes or 20 votes or something uh, in Jim Jordan within the conference who is a totally plausible candidate. So Scalise got one shot. Jordan might get multiple shots because there's nobody standing behind him right now. Right. So you don't think Elise Stefanik's going to get in there or somebody else? I think I think other people are going to jump in. Uh, it is possible. I think from their perspectives, that's not wise. So if you are a climber like Elise Stefan. Because who wants this job? Well, who wants the job? Because it's a job that's set up to fail. Yeah. But also volunteering for the job and not getting the job hurts your career, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're better off sitting and waiting another cycle or two to to sit, find a better environment, right? At least Fana doesn't have, she's got nothing but time. Nothing but time. Yeah. Uh, so Jordan could have a couple rounds of voting. And again, just, I always think about these things through the lens of game theory. If you are the governing wing of the party looking at this, you could tell yourself, ultimately Jim Jordan doesn't matter because in 16 weeks, Donald Trump is going to be our party's nominee for president. 16 weeks. That's how far away we are. And once he's the nominee, uh, it doesn't matter how either mainstream and normal or MAGA unfit and crazy the speaker is. The entire party is going to be defined by Trump. And there is no additional downside for us to have an unfit, crazy, ultra MAGA speaker. And so I might as well, it's more important for the party to get a speaker as soon as possible. This guy is here. He won't last past 2024. So let's just, uh, fine, here, have your gavel, Jim, and let's move on. And, you know, we our our fates are inextricably tied to Donald Trump's anyway. And we'll see where we are in, in 13 months. I think from their perspective, that's the most compelling argument. Yeah. I do think, I think you've got a point about um, the way Trump's role is in this, because Trump has endorsed Jordan. Right. uh, And there is this, there's a way that people are used to, if if Jordan becomes sort of a, a proxy for Trump, there's a way in which these Republicans have long ago internalized just giving up in the face of Trump uh, and, and in the, and in the face of like his inevitability. Well, and would they, be, I mean, would that scenario with that calculation I laid out to you, would it even be wrong? Because I don't think it would be once Trump is the nominee, you could have Kevin McCarthy back as speaker, right? Reasonably, you know, not responsible, but 
We on this show contemporaneously always gave Mike Kevin credit when he did the right thing, like the three times he did it. Would even having a, you know, a now unimaginably competent speaker like Kevin McCarthy as speaker make a difference once Trump is president? I think the answer is no. I mean, I think the extent of the first of all, I, well, I don't think you're right that they'd re they'd bring Kevin McCarthy back. in a No, Trump I'm not era. saying they would. I'm just saying that picture if you're the team normal. Whoever your perfect speaker is in the team normal world, it doesn't matter for the party's prospects having that person there once Trump is the nominee. Yeah. And again, I think your analysis is is perfectly good. It is based on, uh, though, the assumption, and again, I don't think like a terribly faulty assumption, that they're all going to act in sort of party rational self-interest and individual self-interest that that includes where the, the lens of self-interest is keep my job as a Republican congressman. And I guess my analysis includes the option that some of them could say, no, I'm not going to like, maybe I may, like, or I could run as an independent, like actually, because because I have something, I have actually a, something higher <laughs> than my self-interest, uh, which is the interest of the country, uh, the interest of our ability to support democracy abroad. Um I am friends with, you know, Abigail Spanberger and a bunch of normal Democrats, and I would rather hang out with them than these, you know, Jack, well, these, 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 these not very nice people on my own side. I'm not afraid of the people in my district who vote for my Democratic opponent. That's right. I am afraid of the people in my district who vote for me. That's right. Right. I mean, the, the people, if you're in Biden swing district, and you're a Republican, you're not concerned that uh, you're going to get death threats from the people who voted for the Democrat. You're in your race. So no matter how much of my optimism you guys have managed to just like ring out of me over the years to the point where I'm a shell of a person, I still, my instincts still tell me there is hope that some of these guys could choose a different lens through which to, um, which to operate. It's possible. I would just say this is in the, the, uh, sociological study that we have made of the Republicans, elected Republicans over the last seven years, as that tribe has winnowed, the one overwhelming impulse, like the the deep-seated biological urge in them seems to be to protect the Republican Party's access and ability to gain power. I think that is like their their prime directive. And I don't see anything that would lead me to conclude that they're changing, that there's anybody left in the Republican Party right now, aside from people like Mitt on the way out the door, uh, who are going to have this as the moment that would make them change that. Yeah. Can I just say really quickly about Jim Jordan? It is important to not normalize the Jim Jordan of it all. Like if Jim Jordan is the speaker... Jim Jordan was, as Liz Cheney will tell you, somebody who absolutely like knew what was happening the day of January 6th, uh, was part of sort of the Trump inner circle of planning. He went out and stumped super hard for the election was stolen. Let me yeah. tell you how it was stolen. They stuffed ballot boxes. They changed rules. Uh, Jim Jordan is a lunatic mm-hmm. and a bad guy. Mm-hmm. And has been running off speakers, uh, like he ran out John Boehner, uh, you know, because he's such a hard line, you know, look at me, 
um, no interest in governing jerk. And he is trying to currently. And he's not very smart. And he's not that smart. Yeah, I mean. And is... I don't know a whole lot about the scandal. I don't know enough about his his scandal uh, as a wrestling coach to sort of render judgment on it. But uh, based on what I do know of him, uh, having watched him, you know, lead uh, these impeachment proceedings, uh, he is. Not great. He's really bad. He's really bad. And the extent to which if this guy is this big, and listen, it's hard. It's for me, I keep being like, well, so we have this democracy report card that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, go look at the scores we gave, you know, it's like McCarthy and uh and like the difference between these guys is so negligible. Like Kevin McCarthy is also an election denier. Steve Steve Scalise, also an election denier. Um, the, the, the differences tend to be like, did they sign the weird Ken Paxton, uh, you know, (laughs) thing, uh, to give the states, like, I can't even remember all this stuff. Texas Uh, trying to invalidate the election results in Pennsylvania. All right. So if you go and like, look at these guys, like there's, there's, or, or, or you have to like parse their statements and still like, why do we think, uh, Kevin McCarthy is better than Jim Jordan? Well, actually the reason is because we knew Kevin McCarthy would keep funding Ukraine. We knew Kevin McCarthy, or we went, didn't know, but he proved that he like was interested in keeping the government open. Uh, Jim Jordan will do none of those things. Thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, He's I, been a chaos agent his whole career. And to put a – now you're putting one of the chaos agents uh, in charge. Nate Cohn had a piece in the New York Times yesterday about how – the the MAGAs have really made their way all the way into the center of the Republican establishment now. Yeah, this is a Tim Miller original, is, the MAGA establishment. Miller, I, yeah. I think it's actually originally a Sarah Longwell original. I don't I think, think so. I think way, way I th- back. I think this is, uh, I, 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 I remember Tim writing a MAGA establishment piece a long time ago. Um, I'm usually pretty good at keeping track of when I think I was the originator of ideas. Okay. I, I don't think I'm so. I think he was. I'm trying to give you credit. I because appreciate you're my it, real but I don't think I friend. deserve it. I say yeah. that Tim is a best friend, but of course it's only you. That's right. Yes, I agree. Uh, and 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 to be honest, I'm responsible hey, for several of Tim's week, ideas. Did you when I was with Tim, the secret when I did with Tim? No, I didn't listen to the secret when you cool. did with Tim. Okay, good. Uh, oh, but now I'm going to. What'd you no, say? No, no, no. Don't, you'll forget about it. Don't worry about it. What'd um, you say? So the, uh, but what, what Cohn says is that, I mean, the MAGAs are going to possibly have their own sp- Speaker of the House, right? It is one yeah. thing to have the the election of a Donald Trump is forced on the party by the voters. A speaker is an institutional decision made by existing Republican establishment. Yeah. And for the existing Republican establishment to elevate a MAGA to speaker would be a sea change for the party. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, you could, yes, McCarthy was bad and all that. And yes, McCarthy was MAGA, and he was he was Trump's Kevin. But of course, McCarthy was always an institutionalist who was just trying to climb and get his brass ring, and was always just saying whatever needed to be said. And he was never a true believer about anything. Yeah, Jordan seems to be. It's a, uh, it's wild, and it's bad. So uh, I don't know. I'm I'm rooting for the House to remain dysfunctional. I hope that we don't get a speaker for quite some time. Uh, I would like to watch the world burn. 
Okay. Okay. Speaking of which, we have. Yeah, I like it how that first part was the non depressing part. Yeah, that was the the non depressing part. That was the the candy. So, uh, you and I haven't had a chance to talk about uh, the Israel and Gaza stuff. I mean, we did on the next level, uh, but yeah, like, I, it was I, like I, a meta conversation. That's about, right. Like yeah. how people were reacting, so, who was being good and who was being bad. So I had a, um, I had an event last night, and so I didn't get to see the live stream. Uh, and I was hoping you would tell me, can you give me the? It's the best, the best uh, Thursday show we've ever done. Okay. Honestly, oh, it was. Trying to go listen to. Will you just it, will you, that okay, can you, you give should me listen the, to. Yeah, so um, we we had Tom Jocelyn, who's fantastic, Eric Edelman, who's fantastic, Bill Crystal and Ben Parker. I got to say, Ben Parker, our boy Ben, he sat at the the big kids table and he just brought it last night. He was fantastic too. I was so proud of him. Um, So some things to think about, uh, and I'll just sort of give you a scattered recapitulation of the show um the most important thing in the very near term is what does israel articulate as its war aims right so at at some point soon uh the israelis will make some formal statement of this is what we aim to accomplish how broad is that uh Mm -hmm. is it is it uh eliminating hamas's capability to, to strike, is it uh, eliminating Hamas as, a, as an organization? Is it regime change within the Palestinian Authority over there? I, who knows? And that will, that will tell us a lot about what the, the future course of the war will look like. Um, things could get very, very bad if, the, if this winds up becoming a broader war. And this is one of the points Eric Edelman made, uh, was that if it turns out that Iran was very closely involved in all of this, that may demand some direct retaliation from the Israelis, which could create a broader war. Uh, If Hezbollah decides that this is a moment in which Hezbollah could somehow profit from moving against Israel in the north. Uh, the the Hamas attack utilized, I think, 4,000 or 5,000 rockets and missiles. Hezbollah is sitting on a store of 150,000 of those. So it, I mean, it, it would thoroughly and completely overwhelm Israeli defenses and could just wind up being catastrophic. Uh, and the... Yeah, the best case scenario is that the entire thing is confined to Gaza and we only have house-to-house fighting, which goes on for far too long, which involves the killing of many, many civilians in a situation in which there is no conceivable political victory. And that's the best case scenario. Everything else after that goes into like really dark territory. So, so the news this morning is that Israel is telling Palestinians who live in the north of Gaza to evacuate. Yes. What does that mean? Does it mean that they're going to start bombing there? What? 
So they've already begun. Uh, yeah. The Israelis used 6,000 pieces of uh, ordnance over the course of the first like 72 hours here, which is an incredibly large fire rate. Uh, they have cut off electricity, fuel, and water to the strip, and they have conditioned that on uh, hostage release. They have said, "We're until the hostages are released, we're we're gonna not allow any of these things. And if if Hamas releases the hostages, then we'll turn the water and the power back on." Um, that is, you can debate that if one way or the other. The the presence of hostages complicates things in a way that I think we can't really understand over here. I mean, imagine if after 9-11, it also turned out that Al-Qaeda had abducted 100 Americans somehow yeah, and had them stashed uh, with wherever bin Laden was. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it would have complicated our response to that in ways which we can't really game out. Um and so what what they the Israelis have said is they've said we're uh, we we are declaring the north part of Gaza an active war zone and you have 24 hours to get out, which means about 1.2 million people have to go south uh, in a way in in a very short period of time. Hamas is telling people in the Gaza Strip not to leave their homes and to not leave. And saying that this is all a bluff from the Israelis, and this is part of a psych psychological operation, a psyop against them. That there is nothing to fear, and they should stay right where they are. And this is how you know these people are evil, right? right. I mean, it's, <laughs> can you imagine that, right? Uh, and because it you, wants to use them as a to dissuade, right? They want to use them as human shields, right? Yes. To keep. Uh, well, and, and also they want to use the deaths of civilians right. as a political weapon against right. the Israelis. So uh, that, you know, you have humanitarian organizations in the Gaza Strip saying, well, we can't, you know, like we, we've got a hospital full of people who have been injured in the bombardments of the last three days. We can't move them. Uh it's it's going to be bad. The whole thing is going to be very very bad. There are no good outcomes here, uh, and the you know this is the point that I, I wrote about this yesterday. I, I, I'm sure you didn't read it. I I am a little you know I'm I'm deeply pro Israel in this, and I I just don't see a way in which Israel can continue to function as a free society while Hamas has the capability of doing what they did last week right i mean a free society can't can't go about its business if any day uh, a thousand people might be killed because the people who are living you know a football field away want want to murder them but and you know th what it will do to what it will take to remove that threat is going to involve uh, a lot of terrible violence and no matter how hard israel were to try they would still wind up killing innocent people in, in the course of it because that's the nature of war. And I get bothered both by the, the people who are vaguely pro-Hamas or, or who are, I would say, not clear-eyed and realistic. And you say, well, you know, it's a cycle of violence. The Israelis don't have to respond. They could, you know, an eye for an eye leaves the world blind. I think that's not, that's not helpful and 
doesn't really understand the situation. But I am also bothered by the people who say, well, so what? Every, 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 you know, anybody who is in the Gaza Strip is functionally supportive of Hamas. And uh, if they die, they die. And there is a lot of that out there, too. And I don't like that either. And, I'm, you know, I'm trying to sort of warn people off of both. Uh, you, you can't harden your hearts on these things. It's, uh, it, it leaves you dead inside and black inside your soul. So. What do you think? Um, so Netanyahu, did you guys talk last night at all about, like, the what a – what a catastrophic sort of failure this was on the part we did. of, and, and, and what was the, what was the consensus? And the, the consensus is we don't know how catastrophic yeah. the failure is. So, yeah, you know, one of the things we talked about is there was a report two days ago that the Egyptians passed warnings off to the Israelis that there was something coming. I'm sure you saw these reports. Yeah, I did. Right. And that sounds very damning. But without context, you can't really understand it, right? So, for instance, as Ben Parker said, do the Egyptians send warnings about like, hey, we have chatter about an impending attack every week? Mm -hmm. Because if that is the kind of thing that happens in their intelligence sharing arrangement, then how useful really was that? This is, again, this is not me making... I, I do not like Bibi Netanyahu. I hope that when there's a reckoning of this, his reputation is in tatters and he's thrown from powers and replaced with somebody better. I, I'm not trying to make excuses. Same, but, by the way. But just understand that uh, we don't know enough yet. And Tom, so Tom Jocelyn made, made this very smart point last night. He said, look, uh, the, the United States intelligence community and the Israeli intelligence community were both caught totally flat-footed by this. It is impossible that uh, 96 hours after the event that we could have figured out exactly where the source of the failure was or what, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, like there is no way to know yeah. from where we sit now the nature of the failure, how and why it occurred, who was responsible for it. Uh, but Israel does have a very, very clear-eyed history of doing postmortems of these intelligence failures and like big bipartisan commissions uh, where they try to figure out, I mean, you know, you live in a dangerous neighborhood. You're going to, you're going to take security stuff more seriously than we do. It, mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's not going to be like the, the January 6th commission with Republicans refusing to allow, but we think they won't be like that. We think there will be a, a real reckoning once we get past the immediate crisis, but that could last a while. Yeah. What other questions do you have? It was such a good show. I mean, I kind of want you to explain what's going on to me. Like I'm five because I this is, you know, this is where my admitted. I admit I canceled all my TV appearances It's because I don't want to go on and talk about this stuff because I don't feel uh, the intricacies of it. I don't I don't want to go and blather on about stuff that I don't know anything about. That's good. You shouldn't. Uh, that's that's this is what makes us different right yeah um it's uh i mean one of the one of the things i am interested in is wh what the connections are if there are any connections with russia but i mean you know the iranians and the the russians are absolutely in bed with one another right um it it, it is not out of the realm of possibility that the russians had a hand in this because 
having a war in the Middle East would be incredibly helpful to Vladimir Putin right now. Right. Especially because the European countries do not have a sterling history of support for Israel. And if there is a rift between America and the European allies on Israel stuff in the course of that war, maybe it manifests and makes it uh, harder for us to stand together on Ukraine, right? I mean, you, you could easily see how this benefits other bad guys. Yes. And so would that be coincidental or would it be by design? And we don't we don't know the answer. And this is where, you know, um, this is where I just can't get excited about the chaos of the house. Uh, like I can't sort of just indulge in the schadenfreude because it feels like, you and I have talked about this before, for a long time it has felt like you don't pay immediate costs. There aren't immediate consequences for the kind of incompetence that we're seeing. Incompetence isn't the right word. For like this, I don't want to just use a word like clown show, but like the unseriousness of American politics right now. Yeah. You can get away with things for a long time. The idea, like, yeah, like for, that's right. And then at some point it catches up to you. And you've got Vladimir Putin, who's invaded Ukraine, a Republican Party that is no longer resolute on standing against dictators, who from muscle memory, some some old kind of muscle memory jumps in on Israel, but then blames Joe Biden for it uh, in a way like we talked about this in the next level would have never happened uh, like 20 years ago. Like we would be figuring out how to work together Uh it, it, we would be these would be the moments when sort of partisanship wouldn't dissolve but would be mitigated so that we could respond as the United States of America. The Republican Party can't even do that now with each other. Yeah. And so the idea of, uh, you know, when I, I write, you know, I've been spending all this time trying to be like, what is happening? How do I understand how we should be reacting? Like not just to form an opinion, but to just. To, to understand how to make these decisions. And right. And for a lot of them, even as you said, like we can't really know because there's all this stuff that like we don't have access to. But these people do. And like the level of unseriousness to meet the challenges, the serious challenges in the world, I would say to has has made me so angry and upset about uh you know they're 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 having these votes, and we're talking about them uh, because the Republican Party's in shambles. While you know Israel needs allies, yeah, and Ukraine has needed allies, and instead we've got Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates talking about blank checks, which is not a thing. I just um, also can I, can I just say one one thing about this, uh, Elliot? Either Elliot Cohen or Eric Edelman made this point on Shield of the Republic a couple of weeks ago. When we talk about writing checks to Ukraine, we do not send money to Ukraine. What we do is we take money and we buy military stuff in America and we which is made by American companies with American workers and we then send that military stuff over to Ukraine. We're not sending them, it's not like the Fast and Furious where we're dropping, we have a C-130 cargo plane with $300 million in hundreds, like, you know, wrapped up in plastic and we drop it out in a parachute. Like we're sending them material 
We're sending the dollars worth of equivalent of material, which we buy and pay for and goes into the American economy. It is basically like a stimulus and it is good for, we need a defense industrial complex. I'm sorry. Like it's deeply important that we have the capability to manufacture arms uh, over here. And this idea that like, you know, well, we're just taking money and showering, but that's not what's happening. And these people don't talk. I'm sorry. This is like, well, a it, it, but it's also, it's also like the inability to articulate linking the security of Ukraine to our own security. The idea, like, this is what's happening right now, but this is, it, it's your point just reminded me about how, like, this is good for Vladimir Putin. The world is connected. The world exists together. And so, like, we are entering a moment where terrorists are emboldened to attack and rape and destroy and where dictators and autocrats are emboldened to go into and overtake democracies. And, like, it's just not a time for America to not... And it is, they are, all of this is in part a challenge to American leadership in the world, right? Yeah. And we find ourselves standing on the sidelines very unsure about how to react and consumed by our own domestic squabbles. Joe Biden's not unsure of how to react. No, that's true. That's true. I, 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 and actually, well, you know, I, I've, I, uh, he has been very good. Thank you. Certainly rhetorically good uh he's been good on policy especially I, I in hope the foreign, this is, i hope it's true that stuff. we're figuring out how to like freeze the six billion dollars uh, i believe that's already done yeah um dark brand and getting it done we got our hostages out of iran and we kept the six billion dollars of their money ha mm-hmm. <laughs> put on my laser shades um i uh, can we talk a little bit about the trump trump uh the trump show on, I guess it was like Hezbollah smart. Hezbollah smart. Uh, Bibi Netanyahu treated us very badly, very unfairly. All of that. I mean, again, I would assume I, I saw this thing mentioned virtually nowhere. Uh, Just Chris on Silliza Twitter, people circulating about it. the stuff. Yeah. Tim Miller did a quick YouTube rant about it. And that's it. I would have thought. Then in the week following one of the worst terrorist attacks in the last century, uh, the worst slaughter of Jews since the actual Holocaust, I would have thought that the former United States president and current favorite to become the Republican nominee saying those sorts of things would have been splashed across every newspaper in the country and yeah. would have been Republicans lining up to disavow him. And what instead it's just, it's just noise. It's just, what I mean, it's insane, right? Am I, yeah. I feel, I feel this is the, I'm taking, feel like I'm taking crazy pills yeah. meme because no, nobody even bothered to, to, to fucking look at this thing. It's ah! sorry. Did you have any of that? Uh, I did. I mean, I obviously my response was like, we need to get this video and show it to every Jewish Republican uh, to be like, hey, look, here he is. Uh, And also, you know what? Actually, here's my main reaction. It was to get preemptively depressed. Hmm. At all, because it did go viral on Twitter because we were one of the people who put that out immediately. 
And you see a bunch of people who condemn it, uh, the anti-antis condemning it. And I became pre-depressed imagining all of them five months from now explaining to us why you have to support Donald Trump over Joe Biden. And listen, it's not just this. Hezbollah's smart. It's great that Xi rules over his people with an iron fist. He's great. I send love letters to Kim Jong-un. Uh, this is, it's, I stand on a stage with Vladimir Putin and side against America's intelligence community. I tried to bribe Ukraine. Wouldn't give them withheld weapons from them so that they would do, unless they dug up dirt on my political enemies. Like, not new. Not, not new information. But they're, they will fall in line as though it's not. As though they're equivalent on some planet. Well, Joe Biden is very old, Sarah. He is old. So, I mean, what are people supposed to do? Plus, plus, Rashida Tlaib said very bad things about about uh, these attacks on Israel. So it's both sides. And guess who can? And guess who condemned her? Oh, I, I, oh, I know. <laughs> I know. Biden gets no credit for any of this, right? It's, no, Biden. I, Biden is doing a good job. I and, and I'll tell you, um, this is one Reagan's of those things. Third term. <laughs> Reagan's third term. Well, this is, I've always, you know, I try to ask, like when I had Jen Psaki on the um, focus group pod, and so I'm always kind of trying to get, understand what the theory of the case is about how people deploy Biden. Because if you let him just run on his own, his instincts aren't terrible. I mean, he's he's an old guy, so he says like, you know, whatever pony soldier stuff and uh sometimes tell stories that like are absolutely there's no way they're true. Uh, but in terms of like on policy, his instincts of like, we're not going to defund the police. We're going to support Israel. Like this is, it's let him, let him go. He believes this. He believes this clearly deep in his core. They defends him morally and his humanity that, that this, that terrorists are killing people and he's clear eyed about it. Uh, yeah, and he's also neck and neck in the general election matchup polling with Donald Trump. Neck and neck, Sarah. I don't. I. I, I don't understand it. I can I, explain I, it, I but I can't this. understand it. Like I can understand, or, or what is how do, I can understand it, but I can't fathom it. Yeah, it's uh, well, you know, as you said. I mean, look, if not for COVID, Trump is probably reelected, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, and that doesn't invalidate all the other crazy stuff that happened, right? It, it's that you can. You can pl you can light a whole bunch of matches and throw them all over the place, and not start a fire for like the first hundred of them, mm -hmm. right? And you can go a long time without paying the price. And what amazes me is that America actually did pay the price for Trump, right? We we saw it. We got all the things that we warned about, and we're like, but what if there's some cataclysmic event and this guy is president and he won't be able to handle it and people could die? And then like we got the cataclysmic event and. He couldn't handle it. And we had an extra couple hundred thousand deaths in America. Hundred thousand deaths. And then when we were like, he's got he's an autocrat. This guy is not going to respect elections. We got an actual fucking attempted coup. Like all of the worst. We lived through the worst case scenarios. We lived through them. It's not like, you know, we were warning people about really bad stuff that could happen. And then the bad stuff didn't happen. And so we're in the position of saying, but guys, like he's unfit for office, really bad stuff could still happen. Like we got all the bad stuff. Yeah. And people are just like, yeah, 
you know, it's cool. Yeah, I like it. He's funny. Hey again, it's JVL. The conversation goes on from there. If you want to hear the rest of the show, head on over to Bulwark Plus and subscribe. We'd love to have you. 